But, you know, this is a, a day that God has chosen. It is his day. And I believe for those that are here, there is a word for them. And for those that are on the road, our pastor is vacationing and others are vacationing. We just command the blessing over them for those that are not here today. Um, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We're just going to jump right into the word this morning. Uh, while you guys are locating that, I'm just going to, to pray for, for us. Father God, we just come today thanking you for this awesome day, last week of this year that you've given us. And Lord, we know that there's no such thing as time for you, for with you there's eternity. But Father, we still walk in time on this earth. And we thank you that you've delivered us through this year, that you've provided every meal, that there's a roof over our households, and that you've blessed us during this year. What a blessing it is even to live in America. For those that don't have, America is still a blessing. Father God, we just come at this time and ask you to cover these people. But as I am prepared to deliver the word that you have given, I ask that you open their hearts, their mind, their will, and their emotion this morning, Father, and every part of them, Father, from the past all the way until now, and that you give me a word of revelation that will cut through and speak to their spirit, Father, as we go into this next season. Father, I thank you for the word that you've put in me through the divine authority of heaven, through our past and through the leadership of this church. Father, I ask that you give me words that will bless, that will encourage, that will raise up, that will take us to the next level of where you would want us to be in this coming year. And these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. I want to get right into the word, something different than we usually do. Let's just get right into that word. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, and I think in a minute we'll have it on the overheads. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with that body do they come? You fool, that which you sow is not quickened except it die. And that which you sow, you sow not that body that shall be, but bore grain, it may chance of wheat, or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial one is the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, and one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. 
It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. It is, it, and so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. However, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is on the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And this I say, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. A blessing over his word. Now they say, where is he going with this? Where's the happy? This is good stuff here. We are raised up from corruption to be incorruptible. And as we go into the new year, having left Christmas, having the pastor for the last several weeks taught us that God is so good that he has left us with gifts, that Jesus has given us gifts, that gifts have been left to the church. There are gifts all over the place that are there for us to use. Now, if you'll imagine you had a Christmas tree, and, you know, a few days ago we had 40 or 50 packages under our Christmas tree. They have been given, and they have been opened, and they've brought joy to the individuals that have received them. But can you imagine me waking up today and still looking under the tree and seeing those gifts still left there? They're gifts to the church that the Lord has provided for us. Now, one of the things that I talk about, and you know, as you know, you know, Inez and we, we walk into a supernatural prophetic room, uh, realm, and um, I've placed a a device here just as your memory. Uh, having been a former teacher in New York City for years, I believe in having an object, and I'm going to leave that there, and by the end of this service, you're going to know why it's there, hopefully. In fact, I'm going to let you tell me why it's there at the end. But I want you to look at that egg, and when people say, well, what, what did Langston teach on? I want you to think about that egg, and it's going to begin to open up the revelation of what, what we were taught here today. But an environment is very, very important, even for an egg. You know, and I was reading the other day and I, and I read some information that talked about that there are some studies out that talk about in hospitals, if individuals are in a spirit-filled, peaceful environment, they do well. You know, an environment filled with positive folks, encouraging folks, caring folks, faith, hope, forgiveness, love. They have a social network. They have support those folks do better. And I said, well, there was a study that does that. And one of the things, kind of being a scientist, that bothers me is I said, you know, show me something. So I, I, you know, I 
got on the internet and I started looking it up. And I found that there was something called uh, the Yanklevich study. And you can actually look it up. And actually, this was a, a true study. And they realized that in folks that were in a spirit-filled environment, there was less disease, they healed faster, they lived longer, they recovered faster. I said, oh, okay, that makes sense. But uh, to me, walking in a spiritual realm, it does make sense. But I said, okay, is there anything else that's out there? You know, just one study. And, it, and it, this study actually talked about there have been several hundreds that have been um, performed even after that. But uh, there, I came across a second study, and it talked about a lady named Alice Newton, and she was out of Leavenworth, Kansas. And she had been diagnosed with a, a major sickness, a cancer, where she had a, a tumor inside her belly. And this thing began to grow. And they told her that she was at set a, such a stage that she would not be able to recover from this tumor. You know, and strategically, when you go to the doctors and they say you're a stage four or a stage five cancer, they generally tell you there's not a whole lot that we can do with you. We can start you on some chemo. We can start you on some radiation. We can do this. We can do that. But in her case, she says, I want to turn to a spiritual realm. So she met a Dr. Beard, and she said, Dr. Beard, you talk about that study. You talk about faith. I want to be in a spirit-filled environment where people can pray for me. So she got involved in a group, and she would meet with them every week, and she would pray. And the doctor led this group. And, you know, for the first three or four weeks, you can walk into a group, and everybody's really, really excited about prayer. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. But it's stage five. Well, I trust God to do the impossible. He doesn't care if it's stage one or if it's stage five. He doesn't care. He can deliver us from them all if it is his will. So they began to pray, and she'd come every week, and she still had this belly that basically put on about 40 pounds weight for her. And she came week after week. And she began to um, slow down a little bit. Everybody kind of felt that, well, it's not working. And even folks in the prayer group, <laughs> even folks in the church, began to give up. So they weren't as enthused when she had show up, well, here's, you know, Mary, you know, here's, here she is again. You know, it's, uh, okay, well, we'll pray, we'll pray, you know, okay, you know, we expect to see the blessing. A lot of times we expect to see the blessing occur almost instantly, but sometimes God has his own time. Anyway, this goes on for over 200 weeks, say 200 weeks. That's just about four years of meeting weekly and her trusting in God to, to pray for her. You can look this up. I'm not making this up. So anyway, Alice Thornton, she's in her bed one night, and she wakes up, and she finds herself enthralled in a dream. And she has a spiritual dream where she sees Jesus on the cross. And he is weakened, and his hands are down. And she sees herself going to hold his hands up, holding the hands of Jesus up. And as she's holding her hands up, all of a sudden, her hands drop down. And in her sleep, she awakens, and her hands are on her stomach. And she feels something happen inside her. And all of a sudden, this big belly that she has, don't look at mine, this big belly that she has that's about 38 pounds disappears instantly. She gets up. She goes to the doctors. They don't find any evidence of cancer, no evidence of a tumor. The group that had been praying, 
everybody sees that God is able to do something. But the encouraging thing to me is that she didn't give up. Mm. Um, that's two studies that you may want to look up. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking to churches. Generally, he's speaking to churches that have problems. You know, and the main thing that I want to get out of this is that when you have problems, there are solutions to whatever problem you have. But the New Testament also teaches us what we call biblical order. You know, in Acts 1-8, the Holy Ghost breathed. And when the Holy Ghost breathes, something happens. You know, a lot of times when we're seeing things happen, we don't necessarily see the breath. People say, well, I saw your breath. You, you can't see my breath. It's just like, like, you can't see the wind, can you? What we generally see is the effect of wind. And we talk about even winds in spiritual context. We're talking about the breath and the presence of the Holy Ghost, which you may not see an actual thing that you can touch, but you can see what it begins to do. You know, there's some letters that actually follow the house churches through the, and they're called the epistles, and they address specific problems in the church. Um, one of the things that's interesting is that the New Testament really doesn't teach on tithing. We are a tithe-believing church. We believe in that 10%. And one of the things you'd ask yourself is, why doesn't the church teach tithing in the New Testament? Is it not relevant? No, it wasn't a problem in the church. <laughs> you know, in fact, people believed so much in the church that they were family that they sold their houses and laid their funds at the foot of the apostles. That's in the Word. You know, the church, even in Macedonia, we also read in this same chapter, um, raised money in abundance. Now, let's switch over. One of the things that Paul begins to address in what he's talking about is the resurrection from the, from the dead. He doesn't address issues like tithing. People did not believe that you could be raised from the dead. Guess what? We believe that Christ had been born of a virgin, lived here, died, and was resurrected. And all of a sudden, the enemy begins to put out in the new church, resurrection doesn't really exist. In fact, I think there's a new movie even coming out where they're trying to tell you that someone went out and actually tried to prevent the knowledge that Jesus had risen. If they could prove that he had not risen up, we could say he's uh, not the son of God, and we don't have to go on with any of this. Why are we here today? Anyway, the church in Macedonia raised money. Paul begins to defend the resurrection from the dead. And this is one of the things that we learn about order. You now, we've got to embrace order, even today. A lot of times we want to take a shortcut, <laughs> you know. But we've got to learn to embrace order because God wants to do wonderful things in our lives. And one of the things that I want to tell you is that there are no shortcuts, you know, a lot of times we feel like we want to do things our way. We want to, you know, you walk into the bank, you want to be at the front of the line. Well, there's eight people in line. Goodness gracious, I don't even know I have something to do. You know, and we want to fast track. But, you know, a lot of times God wants to see your patience. In fact, sometimes when I'm in the line at the bank and I'm having those kind of thoughts, I said, Lord, is there somebody that you need me to pray for? Is there somebody you need me to give a word to? Why am I here? And sometimes you just have to wait. When we want to take the shortcuts, you'll find people that'll have tax fraud because they were taking shortcuts trying to get all the money now. They couldn't wait. You know, a lot of times it will lead to going around the stuff is almost illegal. It'll force us to even tell lies. 
They'll cause us to fornicate. I don't have to get married. I don't take the shortcut. I can get it now. There are no shortcuts. Shortcuts are dangerous. You know, God has promises for his children. And every promise that we have is preceded by a principle. Every promise is preceded by a principle in his word. So we've got to listen. We've got to learn. And we want to live. Say, listen, learn, and you will live. 1 Corinthians. We read chapter 15, 35 to 50. But I want to center in on verses 44 to 46. If you hone in on those and pull those back up on the screen. 44 to 46. And it says... It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a, a giving spirit, a living, a life-giving spirit. I'm sorry. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. What does that say? And after that, the spiritual, a lot of times we want to see the spiritual first. The Apostle Paul speaks specifically of order here. The plant that you harvest must first come as a seed. I think last year I spoke on something I talked about, the fact you have to plant a seed, and then there's the shoot, and then there's the full ear of corn. For some reason, the Lord is bringing that thing back to this church, that we have to go through the process. A lot of times we get frustrated with the process. We want the blessing now. Sometimes God has a five-year blessing track for us, and we want it by the third year. And then generally you go into the fourth year, and things begin to get tight, and you can abort that whole thing by time, trying to take a shortcut of saying, maybe I don't need to do this, or maybe it's not right because God hasn't moved. Well, yeah, but he was waiting the five years. He knew the time when this blessing was going to come forth. So if God is pushing you towards something, continue to pursue him if you trust his word. Now, one of the things that we begin to see in the supernatural is when we walk from the natural to the supernatural and we step in that realm, we say, oh, boy, that's cool, but guess what? I'm a natural being. So when I see supernatural things occurring, we call them miracles. You know, and basically to define a miracle, a miracle is God in his sovereign will and authority intervenes and changes the natural order. You know, the church has a tendency to want to manufacture miracles. Ha. We want to duplicate it. We want to replicate it. Hey, the Holy Ghost comes up when the pastor did this. Next Sunday, we expect that any time he does this, the Holy Spirit should move the same way, and it doesn't. That's why you have to walk in the Spirit seeking the Spirit. We want to replicate and recreate the same thing that God has done. So now you'll see some ministries, and, and you know, I like to, watch a lot of TV, well, you'll have somebody, the Apostle Billy Bob, who'll come and he'll say, stand up, and he'll go, and he'll blow and people fall out. Or they'll have someone laying on a table and they'll say, well, her leg is short, so now we prayed and the leg grew out. And I said, that's wonderful. I believe that those miracles can occur, but I don't believe that they can occur every Sunday on TV just because those folks are there. And then you've got to be cautious because my spirit begins to do something that makes it want to seem like it's manufactured. And I said, God doesn't always do this. You know, in fact, 
God is so good. Jesus is so good that when he was in the garden and the soldiers came and they said, we are looking for Jesus. And he said, I am he. And the word says, the soldiers fell out as dead men. All he said was, I am he. And it changed. It was a miracle. They were out just by the mention of his word. You know, do you realize in America you can go to sleep broke and wake up wealthy if it's God's will, if you'll keep pressing in? And, it's, and it, this is not a, a, a prosperity type of a, a sermon. It's in every aspect of your life that is deficit of the will of God, he can change it instantly if it's his desire. But a lot of times he's got to change us first. You know, one of the things that I'm coming to realize in everything that I do is I realize that we are a redeemed people, but we're living in a cursed world. Guess what? I pass by the mirror and sometimes I frighten myself because I'll see this gray hair. And I'll say, wow, I'm, I'm getting old. I used to walk by and see a 20-year-old and, you know, and had no pain. And now I pass by the mirror and I was like, uh-oh. There's some corruption going on here. <laughs> uh, um, I realize that I'm getting older, that I'm aging, and that at one point, you know, I will no longer be alive on this earth. But guess what? I will wake up with him in an instant on the next day. So I don't fear the things that I used to fear either. But one of the things I want to say is our society is a society that's pretty interesting. You know, um, we, even in our science, we try to boost and we try to replicate things and we try to do a better job than what God has already done. Um, there's a, a place in New York on 2nd Avenue and 73rd Street, and I like to go there every time I go to New York, and it's called BBQs, and they have barbecue, and they have some chicken wings that are about that big. And I always get the, the basket of chicken wings because they bring you about 12 wings, and every single one of them is big. I, I mean, the, the, the drumstick portion is the size of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, almost a turkey leg. They got these huge things. And I say, wow, I have never seen a chicken that big. If the wing is this big, how big is the chicken? So it, it almost kind of blows my mind because I said it's almost not natural when I see these things, you know. But we've got to realize that in America we consume a lot of chicken products. And the industry has sought to make chickens bigger and larger and, and more meaty. And, you know, there are some pigs that I saw on TV about a year ago where they actually were huge bodies, but they had little shortest little legs because nobody wanted the legs or the feet. We wanted the torso. So they had these little legs and this huge torso on it. And I realized that they are doing things by breeding and doing engineering to the genes of these things to make them bigger, to make them better. Um, you know, we have turkeys on steroids. We've just come out of Thanksgiving, but I don't want to tell you, if you bought one from the local supermarket, it probably had some steroids in it to give it a big press because that's the side that we want to eat. Now, we want to, that, that meat to be able to slice off. So you get these chickens with these little tiny wings on the side, and it's like 90% breast. I'm exaggerating a little bit. You know, cows on steroids. But all of this is secondary because we have to eat this stuff. And guess what? All this now eventually ends up inside of you. And there are traces of steroids even in the things that you eat. I don't want to get you afraid, but when you look at bacon and you get that thing with that little red streak on there, 
I've got news for you. That, that, that pig is dead. That red that you see is not real red. It's food coloring. They've added nitrates to it to keep it bright red. Um, there was a newspaper article the other day that I read. I think it was from Canada where they talked about carnation instant cocoa. And, they were, and the commercial basically says, this is what you need to have as your breakfast food in the morning before you get up and go out. And what happens is the government had rebelled and told them that they couldn't do that. Because by endorsing that, if you look on the package, it's 20 grams of sugar. And they said, are we endorsing basically sugar in the morning? So they took that commercial off. So I just want to say there's all kind of things out there. And a lot of times I watch TV late at night and I'm looking at all the things that they're advertising to make you stronger, slimmer, uh, you know, all types of little devices, all these chemicals that you can take. And we want your credit card number and we'll even send the first one to you free, but then after that we'll bill your credit card. Uh-oh. And then they don't stop billing your credit card and you'll have an issue. But we've got to understand and embrace order. We must act on it. God moves in the after natural. The supernatural is where we're already in. But God wants to bring us to the supernatural is over there, which is where he is and where these miracles are common day. Well, in that space between the natural and the supernatural, it's what I call the afternatural. And that's us. That's where the discipline of understanding that we've got to get from here, walking from the natural through the afternatural to get to the supernatural things that God has called us to be. So today's topic is called the afternatural. God moves in the afternatural. You know, there are things that we have to do in the natural that can even affect the supernatural. You know, I have to practice the natural. What things can I do? Well, Langston, brother, you can diet. You can exercise. You can sleep seven hours a day. You know, I have the ability to pray and get on my knees and move things in the supernatural if I'll have faith in them. The confession of what I say becomes very, very important, too. You know, I tease mom every now and then because I'll go outside and I'll climb up on a ladder and she'll come outside and look up. Boy, don't you break your leg. I'm like, shh, don't, don't say that, ma. There's, there's a confession thing. And if you open up that, that confession, the enemy might see it as an opportunity to do something. So watch your words. In fact, I've heard Brother Bill talk about the, the book, The Power of the I Am, which I think he's been teaching and ministering to his group on. There's power in your words. Because of our cursed environment, sometimes it affects our bodies. Therefore, we need miracles. The same is true even in the spiritual realm. Like I talked about some um, physical healing that occurred when someone prayed, but there is also some spiritual healing. You know, I, I realize that depression kind of takes over our, our society at times. Um, suicides between Thanksgiving and New Year's rise during this season. And I said, well, Lord, this is a, a holy time. But he says it's also a time where the devil has dominion over this earth, and he is going to come to people who are maybe may not be in the Word or who are going through something or who are distracted, and he will speak things that will cause depression. He'll cause depression by speaking lies because he has no other power. You know, and sometimes that can lead to suicide or even mental illness. I've talked to people that says, you know, I've got bipolar disorder. Well, guess what? You spoke that thing. I said, no, you don't. 
Well, yes, I do, because the doctor told me I've got bipolar disorder. And I've, I've had patients that will fight you if you tell them that they don't. Well, my belief is that it's, it's a spiritual thing. God does not make us to have multiple personalities where we have different thoughts coming. He gives us a sound mind and a sound body. And we've got to begin to do that kind of thing and understand that something happens during the season. So a lot of times I'm very, very prayerful from uh, October where Halloween comes in, uh-oh, demonic stuff, and we invite that thing and it travels all the way to Thanksgiving. And then we get to Christmas where we get to panic, where we feel like we have to buy everything uh, that's out there. And now January comes, and it's like, uh-oh, we've overspent. We don't have any money. Oh, boy, I'm depressed. What are we going to do? You know, and then that thing starts. But guess what? You can allow the enemy to lead you around with a chain if you want to. But I prefer to walk in the afternatural and get to a supernatural realm where those things are no longer issues. This comes down to one question. Is there anything that I can do in the natural that can precipitate God to do something in the supernatural of my life? Is there anything that I can do now that can trigger him to begin to move on my behalf or whoever I'm praying for or on their behalf when I pray for you? Hmm. Well, we always have to go to the words. And, all, and one of the things that we have to look at is that there's confidence in his word. The Lord gives instruction. You know, we know that faith is important. He is not a man that he should lie, nor son of man that he should lie or have to repent. He loves me. And that's what they were singing during the praise. So it kind of hit me is that they had no idea what I was going to talk on. But God loves me. God loves you. And he said that he would keep you and he would cover you and he'd bring you into all good things and he has made promises. He doesn't say what time they're going to come through, but he says, I've made promises. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Again, I go back to the natural, the after natural, because I'm going into the supernatural. Where are you, Lord? I'm looking for you. You're in the supernatural. That is your realm. And that's my prayer for this church, for you guys to begin to look for the supernatural, to expect the supernatural, to break through through the supernatural, to not be distracted and called off the road as you, as you pursue that tract. A lot of times the enemy is trying to, to lie, steal, destroy your vision. He's trying to call you off the road. He never wants you to get there. And what happens is if he can get you in the middle of depression, then he can do and he have his way. He's not going to do it. He loves me. You know, in Genesis... God teaches that Adam actually had the ability to speak things. You know, if you'll kind of read through Genesis, Lord said, let there be light. You know, first he worked, he built this, you know, this earth, he put the sun, the moon, he spent all those days, the seventh day he rested, and then there's this Adam creature. He says, okay, now you speak it. I spoke, let there be light. I've given you the earth. Now you do these things. You know, and Adam was able to... Name all the animals, whatever you call them, that's what they were. Praise the Lord. But guess what? You still have some of that anointing even in you. You know, um, James in his word says that the tongue is a small member, yet boasts great things. There is power in your confession. And some of the churches and some of the ministries have taken this and tried to distract it. They say, well, confession is your possession. <laughs> and they speak prosperity. And they've carried it to an extreme where it became, if you blab it, you can grab it. But they forget that it's through God's will. 
you know, whatever, whatever Adam called it is what it was. You know, but you also have a power and authority now. You know, if you're sick, call yourself healed. You know, we have to understand the power of I am. Even though you're broke, declare yourself rich. Even if you're having an issue with your marriage, you declare that your marriage is not dead and God has the ability to restore it. You know, we, we talk about our money. You know, it's, it's pressed down. It's coming together and it overflows when God has a hand on it. You know, we need to speak things over our job. We need to speak things over our emotion. We need to speak deliverance from all these things that are going on that tend to attack us. Miracles are when we step into the supernatural act of what God is doing. Miracles are sudden. They tend to be very, very quick. They cannot be explained. A lot of times I'm, I'm a scientist. I want to be able to explain it. Well, sure, this happened because, you know, when, when you look at the world from the natural, we try to explain it using the natural law. But when we see a miracle, we kind of walk in, I don't know. I, 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 I can't explain what happened. I can't explain why a woman praying to God for four years touches her belly in her sleep, and all of a sudden this tumor is gone. I can't explain it, but it's, it's a miracle. And she saw, her hand, she saw herself holding up the hands of Jesus, and I think that God rewarded her because of her faith. So, when God has asked us to do something, it will take a leap of faith for us to do it. You know, there is power in the effectual, fervent prayer of the, uh, prayer of the righteous. In Hebrews chapter 10, 35, 36, there are some examples. Um, once you get an instruction, you have to obey it, and then God moves in the afternatural. Um, in Matthew, there is one miracle that I want to give you because this is New Testament, Matthew 17, 24, 27. And what has happened is that Jesus comes into a town with his disciples, and the tax collectors of the temple, they come over to one of the disciples, and they say, listen, um, have you paid your temple tax? And has that one that comes with you, has he paid his? And, you know, Jesus is not there, but he comes back, and he finds Jesus, and even before he speaks, Jesus already knows what has gone on. And he says, you know, hey, when, is he paying taxes? When you're paying these taxes, are his children paying taxes, or are the other people paying taxes? He says, it's the other people. He says, hmm, well, then the children ought to be exempt also. But he says, nevertheless, let me tell you something. Let me give you some instruction. He says, go to a certain river. And I want you to reach down into a big fish's mouth, and you're going to pull out a coin, and in his mouth there will be enough, there will be enough to cover my taxes and your taxes. And then there's never a comment about it. Now, I went back, I looked it up, and what happens is there's a coin called a, a drachma, and the, the tax for one individual is two drachma. And this coin that was in this fish's mouth was four drachma. So it was exactly what was needed uh, to cover those taxes. Also in the readings and the background of it too, the fish, a lot of people believe it was a tilapia. So in some countries you'll go, they'll, a they'll ask for that specific, foot, that, that, that specific fish, and they'll, they'll eat tilapia. And, it, and it's thought that it might have been a tilapia, but there's nothing in the word that even says that. But this is what's uh, accepted in some restaurants apparently.
Um, anyway, let me go on. Um, let's talk about Naaman. Naaman is a commander of one of the king's armies of Syria. Naaman, he is very, very powerful. He is very, very well respected. He is honorable. And overall, he's, he's a good man, except that he doesn't know the Lord. But he's got this leprosy. And leprosy, does anybody know anything about leprosy? You start getting these little red bumps on you, and they spread all over your body. And then your body literally begins to scar down and rot from itself. And you can get it in your eyes and your ears and all these parts. You lose your vision and everything till you're just like a little knot of scars, and eventually you die. And Naaman had this condition, but he still walked in his authority. Well, I'm sure Naaman wanted to be healed from this. So he hears about someone far, far away in Israel who has the ability to do this. And that person um, is Elijah, who is a prophet. And uh, he begins to send word that says, send a word to Elijah that I've got this thing. And Elijah says, well, why doesn't he come and see me? What, I'm not allowed in Syria? And they were at war during that time. So it's interesting because it also shows the desperation of, of Naaman in terms of knowing that the healing was actually going to be involved on the other side. And he sends to him an offering of so much gold that today it would be worth about $1.2 million and says, I really, really want to be healed. So anyway, Naaman decides that he's going to go visit Elijah. He goes, knocks on his door. You know, and Elijah is in the other room and says, um, send one of the servants out, and I'll give, give him some instructions to tell him. And the servant comes out and says, he says, you need to go wash in the Red Sea seven times uh, for seven days. Go out there daily. And Naaman is just about livid. He says, he didn't even come to the door. He sends his servant. He wants me to wash in, 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 this, in this particular ocean. He says, I can go somewhere else. There are better streams where I come from that I can go do the same thing in. And with the counsel of one of his servants, he becomes obedient. He says, you've got nothing to lose, man. You've got leprosy. You are riding all over the place. There ain't going to be no you to carry back. You're going to be one big scar. So he says, let's just go do it. And he dips himself in the first time, and these things begin to come off. And guess what? We have a miracle. But, you know, there was instruction. And one of the first things when we get instruction is we want to take the shortcut. You know, one of the things that I'm always impressed about is, is Abraham. Abraham finally now has this son that has been promised to him. And the Lord says, okay, I want you to go sacrifice your son on this mountain three days away. And I said, I couldn't do that. You know, I love Giovanni. And um, I said, Lord, I, I couldn't sacrifice him. But Abraham is obedient. He does everything he's supposed to be. He didn't bargain to say, well, let me do something here in the backyard or let me take one of the servant's kids and put a blanket over it. Nobody will know. And I'll say, see, I would have found every other way out. I would have tried everything. But Abraham is, is, is amazing because of his obedience. And God provides in, in, in the middle of that thing. But I had to battle with God on that. You know, I said, God, I couldn't. And he says, but if I asked you to, would you? Whatever you tell me to do, Lord, is what I'll do now. Because I know him too closely now. And I've stopped arguing with him now. I said, Lord, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. Um, next thing that we're, I wanted to kind of bring forth, another scripture, Luke 17, verse uh, 11 to, to 9. And we talk about... Um, 
I don't want to give you too many of these. Um, we talked about Peter's big catch is, is one, you know, where, you know, basically come out and they've been fishing all night. And everybody's heard the story and Jesus comes along and says, hey, throw, throw your net out over there. And he says, well, no, we've been fishing all night. We've got the nets in and now, you know, I'm a fisherman, you know, and all this. But never, nevertheless, and they throw it out and they get just a, a bounty. And he had sent all the ships out, but only one ship, ship threw the nets out. And, um, you know, if all three had shown it up, they had to come and get everything. The nets were torn all up and, and all of that. So I didn't want to go through that because a lot of you have heard that before already. Um, Lazarus is, a, is another miracle. You know, Lazarus has been dead for several days, and Jesus comes and they're angry because Jesus took so long, and Jesus is really not bothered. Jesus was pretty cool. You know, he was like real smooth when he walked into the town. He walked in, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth in his grave clothes. Mm. What I want to show you here is that in every single one of these miracles uh, situations, Somebody does something in the natural that moves into the supernatural wrestling, moves into a supernatural realm for the blessing to occur. In every example, something had to occur. Night precedes day. There's an order. Gravity. I hold something up and I drop it. It's always going to come down. If it doesn't, there's a miracle. So there's something that's going on. So Jesus talked about this even before Paul. When, he, when a big preacher comes to him, and the preacher's name is Nicodemus, and Nicodemus sits on a high council of the Sanhedrin. He is the man. You know, Nicodemus means victory. Nick means victory. Nicholas means victory. In fact, Nike is a derivative of that same word. So everywhere that you, have, you see Nikes, it means victory. It's one of the top-selling shoes in the nation because wherever, whoever's wearing this, they're walking around, they're like, I've got victory. There's a spiritual connotation that walks along that carries that word from, from the Greek. Life and death are in the tongue. Anyway, Nicodemus comes by night in John 3, 1 through 8, and he says, Rabbi, he says, we know who you are. Notice he didn't say, I know who you are. He says, we know who you are. The whole Sanhedrin knows that this is the Lord, but they don't want to give up their jobs, and they fight. We know who you are, and I'm coming by night. That means that I'm coming, and I know who you are, and I need something from you, but I'm not going to tell anybody else. And Jesus starts dealing with him by talking about being born again. Birth uh, proceeds and defines death. You know, we don't know what death is until you understand what life is. Born again. Born again means that there was a death and that there is another birth that has to occur. You know, that first, being, that first birth was the natural birth, you know, but we realize that spiritually we're dead in our sins. Hmm. Born through. That's one thing that we all have in common, too. You know, we're all come through the same door, the matrix of a woman. It was interesting being married to my wife, watching her carry my first child, and watching this thing grow inside her, who we would call my son. And as we go through the names and we pray and speak all of these things, and it's going to be a boy, and we're excited, we get to that ninth month. And, you know, Inez is not happy with me most of the time. You did this to me. You know how y'all get. 
And I'm saying, well, what? Okay, it's going to be okay. You know, you, I'm spoiling her and trying to do little things for her and stuff like that. And then it's like one night, it's like, uh-oh. Huh. There's a certain time and there's a season for the miracle to occur. And, you know, I said, well, I think it'll be okay through tonight, you know. And, you know, I, th- I think you're at about uh, five or six centimeters. And don't ask how I knew that. Um, but the next morning, we're at the doctor's office, and the doctor checks her and says, you're at, what, eight centimeters? At, at five centimeters. But she says, guess what? We're going to have a baby today. Get her across the street. Let's get a wheelchair. And Ina says, no, I'm going to walk. And Ina gets up, and she walks next door. And then there's the, the, the whole thing with the breaking of the water. So now the environment that you were first in, that you've grown in as this baby, was comfortable. It had everything that you need. It had all this nice amniotic fluid inside of it. It was a pad. It was a cushion. You, you, were, you were fed in this thing. You were protected by this thing. You ate. You, you pooped in this thing. I mean, you did everything. I mean, it was, it was just wonderful. And now something is beginning to happen, and you break that water, and all of a sudden that environment now changes. And guess what? That baby begins to get uncomfortable. And now we're at 10 centimeters. Well, guess what? You can even get to that point where you need to be, and it's following the process, but now something else has to occur. And that's where the doctor comes over and says, hey, Inez, it's time for you now. You've got to push. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Fear goes through you. As my wife, you know, is this going to hurt her? She's in pain. She's been suffering. But now she's got to push, and I can't do it for her. I can stand there and, and hold a hand and encourage and say, it'll be okay, dear. I'll be outside boiling water. Okay. <laughs> God begins to do something amazing during the middle. Of, if you ever watched a child being born, and I know, it, it, how many men were in the room when your first child was born? That was a, it's just a, an awesome thing. I mean, I, I, I weep during that time. Anyway, we're born through the matrix of a woman. There's an order to this whole process. I can predict exactly when it's going to occur. We find out when we can say, well, you, you got pregnant on this date, and exactly to the week we can just about predict when this baby will, will come forward. Um, one thing that happens, though, is that when Giovanni comes out, he's crying and he's screaming. He's in a new environment. He can't go back. Ever. You know, there's a set time where God is going to push you through a door, and that's the whole reason why I'm talking about this. Push. Some people say push means pray until something happens. You know, you want to be healed of hypertension and cholesterol? There's some things that you can do on earth. Now, one of the things that you can do is you can stop eating pork. One of the things you can get up, you can get up and you can walk five miles a day. One of the things that you can do is you can get up, you can do 25 sit-ups. There are things that you can do to precipitate things in the natural realm. It's very, very hard for folks to kind of begin to understand that because what happens is we'll have all these things that we have done to our bodies, and then at the end we want God just to heal it, but it's a consequence of the abuse that we have provided all the years before that. Before, I talked about people saying, well, I saw the wind blow. You can't see the wind. It's, it's, wind is just a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, and it means 
Even today, the wind of the Spirit is blowing through here, and I believe through this teaching, many of you will begin to see things in a different revelation. What's that egg there for? You'll tell me later. Just want you to figure it out. Um, the wind blows in my life. I see the effects of it, even though I may not see the actual change. Let the Holy Ghost breathe on your money. Let it breathe on your marriage. Let it breathe on your heart. You know, God, again, in Genesis, deals with Elijah and all of that stuff. And we talk about um, in <laughs> Genesis uh, chapter 13, um, Abraham felt that he wouldn't even have children. I mean, I talked about the miracle, but even before that, he felt that Elijah would inherit everything. But God speaks to him and says, look down and count the dust. That's the natural seed. And Abraham has no understanding of what God is talking about. And if you'll go from Genesis 13 to Genesis 15, verses 3 through 5, God says, Abraham, take your eyes off the grains of sand on the ground, and I want you to look up into the stars. Look up into the cosmos. Look up. See those stars? That's going to be your inheritance. That's going to be your generation. Look up, and it'll be as numerous as the stars. God uses a natural thing to reveal to Abraham his spiritual truth. As a people, we fail to realize that we have power and decisions that we make. We make a natural, faith-driven decision, and God moves and unlocks the dimensions after the natural manifestations and possibilities in my life. Hmm. God sometimes challenges you because he says, make that crazy offering. You know, you don't see it in the bank. And he says, it may sound absurd, but if you want a miracle, believe in a miracle, do that miraculous thing. God says, go pray for that lady at the end of the line in, in Kmart. And you'll say, well, I don't have time. I'm doing this. God will ask you to do something that is outside of your comfort zone. Say a prayer over your child. If, your children, if you're, you have a child that is away from the Lord, don't give up on that child. Pray for that son. Pray for that daughter. If you have a boyfriend that is in prison, you pray for that man, that God change him when he comes out, that he will walk and he'll never go back. You know, I've gone to the prison system myself and have stood on that side and have met a lot of prisoners that I've had an opportunity to minister to, and it is always humbling to me because a lot of them are very, very smart, articulate people who wanted to take a shortcut to get to something. And I'm humbled because I said, Lord, I have been there before. And one of the things that I've realized is that I did stuff that could have got me in trouble just like this person I'm talking to, but I did not get caught. That was the only difference. I'm a sinner. I was a sinner until I received him. And God began to show himself faithful in my life. If you have a husband that is not walking with the Lord, pray for him. Don't give up on him. You know, when you took that marriage oath that said, for better or for worse, well, this is the worst. It doesn't mean walk away. It doesn't mean divorce. It's not part of the vocabulary of a married couple. But expect the supernatural. You know, um, I was um, watching a movie the other day. I went and rented it, and uh, it was called The War Room. And it's about a lady that gets a, a prayer closet, and she begins to demonstrate this to another woman who's going through some issues that God just happens to bring her into contact with. And she introduces her to a process of praying 
for your husband, for your marriage, and all these situations. It's awesome. If you haven't seen it, it's something that will, will touch you, especially for the ladies. But one of the things that I want to encourage you to do is I wanted to encourage you to stop looking down. I want you to reposition yourself during this year that is coming. I want you to look up. I want you to be able to lift your hands in worship and not just look down and say, woe is me. Because sometimes even during the worship, it is not their responsibility to get you happy. It is your responsibility to step into that realm of worship and to praise. Lord says, if somebody just played the drum, you should be able to worship if it exalts me. Mm. So even in the midst of worship that you may not particularly uh, jive with, you can get up, you can worship the Lord. And just, sometimes you just close your eyes and you step into a kingdom of heaven and say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I just need you, Lord. There's no one like you, Lord. And all of a sudden, all those other situations just go away. I want to get you from that realm of the natural in terms of what your mind is telling you to walk and take a, an, an, an after-natural walk into a supernatural realm to meet a supernatural God. I'm getting ready to close now. Mm. Reposition yourself with your hands lifted up in worship. And let that be your defining moment. I believe that some of you are here today for a defining moment. Someone wants to respond to God's call today. That's a defining moment. God gives a bigger picture of himself during that moment. And this is what your testimony when God begins to move and begins to reveal himself. There's a defining moment when you make that decision. You know, there's a, a joke that I wanted to tell, and it's about a cowboy who gets up to heaven, and he's standing at the front gate of heaven, and there's Peter standing there, and Peter's standing there with a tablet in his hand. And he says, before you go in, I just want to ask you a, a, a couple of questions. He says, I've been doing some studying on myself about uh, defining moments, and that defining moment is where you make a decision that kind of changes your life forever. He says, um, Mr. Cowboy, have you ever done that before? And uh, the cowboy says, uh, I have. You know, he don't use too many words. Uh, he says, well, will you tell me about it? He said, well, I was in my pickup truck. So I was riding down the road, and I passed by, and there were a bunch of bikers. And they had this woman around, and they were tossing her around something awful. And he says, they were abusing her pretty bad. He says, yeah, okay, I got it. So he says, I stopped my pickup truck, and I walked over to this band of motorcycle riders, and I found me the biggest, the baddest dude with the most tattoos on. He had a dude rag. And I walked up to him, and I looked him in the eye, and I reached up with my finger, and I thumped him in the nose. And he says, that was my defining moment. Peter's response, he says, that was amazing. When did that happen? He said, about three minutes ago. There's a defining moment, even right now, and I'm going to ask you all to stand. I'm going to ask our minstrel to come. Some of you haven't liked this word to start off talking about corruption and incorruption.
We live in a world of corruption, but we are incorruptible if we're covered by the Lord. There are things that God wants to do with us in 2016 as, as we walk through this past year. God has been gracious and he has been merciful, but he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to get closer and closer, and we have a tendency of wanting to get to the same spot and just staying there. <laughs> God is even dealing with some of us right now. I'd like for you to come to this altar with your families, your spouse, your wife. If you don't have anyone, you can join with someone. We're all your family. And I just want the Holy Spirit, the wind of God, to blow over you this year. I want, to, Lord, to carry you and to invite you into a supernatural realm where you find out what your gifts are. I want you to understand that there is order that the Lord has, and there is a blessing for you. So I'm going to ask you to come up to this altar. And we're going to pray, and we're going to close out as the last prayer of this year. I think we need to be at this altar. I'm going to call my wife up. She's going to stand with me. She's my helpmate. Come on, come on, come forward, come forward, come forward. Lord God, I bless these people who come to this altar, Father, out of obedience, not to me, but to your call, Father. Father, we thank you for the year of 2015 and everything that you've done. We thank you for your glory and your power. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace that you've had over us, our families, our business, and our lives, Father. Father, we thank you for friendship. We thank you for discipleship. We thank you for this church, Father, that teaches that there is a live word that has come from heaven. Father, we thank you for heaven. We thank you that we have an afterlife to go through, that you love us so much, Father. Help us to hold one another, Father, to trust one another, to open up and to make each other better through the gifts of the Spirit that you've left in this church. just want to speak a word to someone. The Lord says that you've been having problems with your hands. The Lord wants to heal that. He says if you'll wash your hands in vinegar three times for the next three days, he will heal that. Someone else has been tormented by something going on in the house. Every time they come in, there's something going on in the house. The Lord says that this is a spiritual thing now. But I've got a solution. He said, there's a key that you have hidden outside your door. He says, you need to take that key and open the door three times for one week and then take that key and now place it in the back. Don't leave it in the front. Do not leave the door, the key that's open to allow the enemy to come into your household. Never again. That's for you. Do it. Father, we thank you for healing, restoration. We thank you for your comfort during this year. We thank you that sons and daughters are coming home. We pray for church growth. We pray for our pastor. We ask that you give him a bigger word for 2016. We pray for greater unity. We, we pray for harder, 
more relevant worship, Father, spirit-filled worship that opens up the kingdom. Father, we thank you for the, for the weddings that we had during this year. We thank you for the lives that have been changed. We thank you for the companionship and the relationships that have started amongst the people of God. Father, we pray for the families that have lost folks this year, that, Lord, that you would be with them as the restorer and as the healer during this time, Father. Now, I'm just going to pray that every man takes leadership over his household during this year, that he understands that there's spiritual authority in the man taking the head of the household and opening up the Word of God. And during this time, I'm going to ask one of our senior elders, Papa Bill, to give us a closing prayer, and he will honor us with everything that he sees for this church. Thank you, Papa. Father, above all things, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus the Christ. Father, there's a song that's uh, entitled, Just Call It Grace. It says, some call it foolishness, and some say it's impossible. But every heart it rescues, it's a miracle. It's nothing less than scandalous, the love that you've shown for us. Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for the gift of your Son. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that seals us. We thank you for the destiny you have for us. Each and every one of us are designed for a specific purpose and destiny that no one can fulfill but us. We are all unique. We're all designed to fulfill a place that you created for us, sir. Now, Father, I call all of us into our destiny. I release us to that destiny, sir. And Father, you have things scheduled in this new year. You have things scheduled that we have never seen, we have never heard, we have never experienced before. Uh, you have a place for us. Father, your word says, your son Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as we seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Everything you have designed for us, Father, will be added. This is our confidence. We cast not our way away our confidence, but we stand confident in you that you're able to bring about everything you have designed for us. Your will will be accomplished, sir, because you are God, and we stand confident in that. Everything, Father, everything, everything that you have planned you are more than capable to bring about. 
So we trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our children's lives. For you are a good God. Sir, we yield ourselves to you. We yield ourselves to your plan. We yield ourselves to your destiny. And we give you praise and we give you honor. For you deserve it all. You deserve it all. You deserve it all. Thank you, sir. Amen.